Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. We are back. Thank you for joining us. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for joining us. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Siegfried and Jensen, and also Veracity Networks. Thank you guys for believing in me and helping us get the word out to so many people. I'd like to thank all the listeners, too, for tuning in week after week. We just hit 130,000 downloads, and we're just cranking, and I'm just so grateful for all of it. And we've helped so many people, and today is going to be amazing. I'm so excited to have Mark Moore on our uh, BeliefCast today. Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. So a little bit of background on Mark. He's the co-founder of Mana Nutrition, one of the world's leading suppliers of ready-to-use therapeutic food, the frontline defense against severe acute malnutrition, which we're going to learn more about here in a minute. Mark and his team have raised over $20 million to build and expand Mana's 100,000-square-foot production facility in Fitzgerald, Georgia, which now employs more than 60 people and supplies partners such as UNICEF, the World Food Program, World Visions, Doctors Without Borders, and you said to aid in their efforts in fighting malnutrition in more than 50 countries across the globe. Uh, he's the author of the book, Nourished. It's a book about faith and global hunger. And sp he speaks frequently on TED events to college campuses, corporate gatherings. He has four children and he and his wife, uh, Maureen. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, Marnie. Marnie, sorry. Marnie, yeah. I, I, sorry about that. And they, they, right. they reside in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, there's so much more. I mean, there's this bio goes on forever, but Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to come share, you know, not only just your life, but your passion in uh, ending uh, malnutrition in the world. Thank uh, you. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, big thrill to talk about something that's uh, important, important to me and I hope interesting to your, to your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So um, why don't we just start? I'd, I always like to start, like tell people about uh, you a little bit, where did you grow up and a little bit about your family and your childhood? So I grew up in Flint, Michigan, the ultimate blue collar town of the United States. You For know, sure. When you're from Flint and you meet someone from like Cleveland or, uh, you know, Buffalo, you're like, oh, that's wimpy. You know, we're, we're from a tough town. So right. uh, it is a, it's a Rust Belt city and I loved growing up there. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I grew up in a, in a family where faith was a big deal. And my parents had been, uh, had grown up when they were kids as sharecroppers in Arkansas, of all places. And we're just uh, poor uh, people who in the early 50s got on a Greyhound bus and went up to Flint to get a job in the, in the factory. You know, that's what the GM plant was called. So, oh, okay. So I was one of five kids and uh, first one to think about going to college. Um, had great parents who loved me and um, yeah, I remember telling my dad, I'm going to college. And he was like, what, what why would you want to do that? <laughs> and, uh, so there wasn't any of this, you know, let's, let's, uh, save for college or anything. And I showed up, I went to a Christian college in Arkansas and, uh, you know, not many people pursue higher education in Arkansas, but I did that. And so, right uh, that was a great experience. Met my wife there. And, um, then we got this idea of moving, uh, as missionaries to Uganda, East Africa. So moved. Uh, to East Africa and lived there for about 10 years. 
and lived. Uh, Uganda is famous because it has the Lake Victoria and the Nile River comes out of Lake Victoria. So we were right on the edge of the Nile for uh, 10 years, had kids there. Uh, three, we have four kids now, but three of our, our three boys were born there. And um, right on. And then anyway, I left there and ended up back in the States with, with no real discernible skills, but uh, in my thirties <laughs> and uh, decided to go to grad school so I could be employable. So I did that. And that was in DC. And uh, that's what landed me kind of doing what I'm doing now. So that's great. Uh, that's my, that's my backstory. That's the backstory. Well, you know, our, our good mutual friend, where we were just talking about Aaron White wanted me to ask you about moving your family to Africa. He says, you've got to ask him this question. So I don't know what's behind it, but he says, please ask him this question. So I'm going to start off right with that. Tell us about that, that adventure. <laughs> well, you know, um, I think for, for all, any of your listeners, whether you come from a perspective of faith, whatever your particular background is, uh, we all work at companies that talk about mission, vision, and values. And that's at the core. Uh, you know, if we were people who were just secular and didn't have any sort of uh, traditional yeah. faith, uh, from, a, from a philosophical standpoint, that the part of philosophy is called axiology that talks about uh, the axiological basis for value. And under that, you talk either about ethics or aesthetics. And so from a sort of an ethical standpoint, talking about mission and vision and values that we all have hanging on the wall at our companies that we work yeah. at, uh, those are the things I think where you say, um, you know, if you knew you had three years left, what would you do? What would you spend very limited heartbeats and breaths doing? Because they're the most important things. And I think we would all say, well, I would not hang out with my family. I would try to do things that, that really added value based on my worldview of what was, what was eternal. And uh, in the same way that I met Aaron White, funny, we were just joking before we turned on the recorder, Aaron knocked on my door in Flint, Michigan. You know, he's an wow. LDS missionary and uh, I'm not LDS. He was, I would say he's probably the first LDS person I ever met. Oh, really? he, knocks, he knocks on the door and, you know, here's this guy with a tie and a little badge on our door, at our door. And, and um, he said, Hey, can, you know, we're just trying to be helpful. Could I, you guys need help cleaning the garage or it's just uh, so compelling. Right. I thought, why is this guy asking me to clean my garage? <laughs> I, my parents have been asking me to do that. We're the same age here and I, so I was about to go off to college and I just right. thought I can't help it. I like this guy. I mean, he doesn't seem to have any agenda. And yeah. uh, I mean, he did of course, cause he's a missionary for his church, but he, sure. his, his main agenda was to show up and be helpful. And so kind of uh, along that same line, when I went to college, I was a little older um, I decided, uh, my wife and I decided at 23, 24 that, Hey, what if we spent a few years? What if it was a year or two, uh, trying to give back and to make a difference. And, and in the same way that, you know, kind of along the line of, regardless of your tradition, I think one of the reasons, um, uh, you know, Aaron was successful. You show up, you try, he didn't get to learn a language. He had to go to Flint, Michigan, but, <laughs> but in Flint, Michigan, there's a culture you learn. There's a language you learn. There's For a sure. way of being that you learn that when you grow up in Utah, it's foreign, it's different. And uh, so, yeah, I, I got stuck in that same cycle to say, Hey, could I go be a learner for a few years? So we learned the local language and uh, yeah, spent, spent about 10 years wandering around. Uh, and I think what anyone who's ever been on a mission Again, missions is this boring word that nobody wants to be part of, but mission, if you chop the S off, is what we all want to be a part of, right? Yeah. Uh, in mission, sort of, you have these people who are the object of your help. And yeah. you, uh, if you're not careful, you start looking at them as, as uh, some kind of sales uh, goal. And <laughs> But mission is just something you have. It's something that yeah. makes you get up in the morning. So I think chopping the S off of missions, I think, is a good way to describe my 10 years in Africa. And and uh, as anybody who's ever been a missionary will tell you that 
uh, the main benefit factor was me, you know, <laughs> nobody that sure. I helped. Um, yeah. Certainly. So, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a long story, but a good one. And, and so, yeah, that was a decade of our life. I never thought it would be a decade. I thought it would be two or three, but, you know, after a couple of years of language learning, we realized we were just getting bad uh, at our job. So <laughs> we stuck around. Wow. That's awesome. That's neat. And I love what you said. You know, if you had three years left of your life, what would you do? You know, we mentioned earlier, you're the co-founder of Man and Nutrition. And I was, I was checking out your website the last couple of weeks, just, you know, trying to get more information on you, Mark. And I loved what, and I'm actually going to read it if that's okay. You said, it says here at Mana, we decided that we'd forego all the complicated vision, mission, and values exercises, and instead keep the mission simple. We are here to end malnutrition. It's as simple as that. We are, this is like where we at. You have your, we are statements, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. But so is that, is, I mean, you're obviously so passionate about this. I watched one of your Ted talks as well. You got real emotional as you speak about this. When did you start getting so passionate about this? And then tell us how you kind of formed man and nutrition. Well, um, that's either a great fault in your life or an advantage, right? If you get emotional about something. So, sure. um, <laughs> and emotions can be your undoing and the thing that fuels you. Um, as far as the, we are statements, you know, when you make, uh, if you show up anywhere, uh, before you're too long into a discussion, whether you're just walking into a new place or move to a new town, or maybe you're the freshman at a new college, uh, you will talk about statements about, uh, people want to know just as we've done in this thing, Hey, where are you from? So there's these identity things wrapped yeah. up in where you're from, Flint, Michigan. I met Aaron, all these stories. Uh, and then the question of where are you now? Uh, and then the question of where are you going, right? Mm -hmm. So we all have these three dynamics and they all kind of intersperse and inform each other. Uh, you can't talk about who you are now without really coming to terms with where you've been in the past and what yeah. built you. Um, but the question I think about where you are now is the informative questionnaire is, is where are you going? Where, where are you headed? Yeah. We're all embarrassed. We're all embarrassed to talk about that because we all know that there's a pretty good probability that whatever I comes out of my mouth will probably not come true. Right. I have these visions yeah. uh, of where I want to go, but I'm a little embarrassed to be too ambitious because if I were too ambitious, then everybody will just come and say, well, that didn't work. You didn't lose weight. You know, right. you're just as fat as the last time I saw you. Or you didn't. <laughs> and so to say something audacious, like, Hey, I want to end malnutrition. I think yeah. within any crowd uh, you'll have about a third of the people who say, um, that'll never happen, you know, and you have maybe a third of the crowd who says, wow, this guy's naive. Uh, but it's kind of cool that he's that naive. You know, I, I don't know if he has the sincerity or the capacity to actually accomplish this, but I'm kind of pulling for him. I hope he makes sure, it. Sure. And then there's a the kind of the reluctant third who will say, uh, I'd like to be a part of something big like that. And yeah. I'm still, I'm still skeptical, but, um, yeah, maybe I'll join you. So, uh, the notion that we, this little company that makes peanut butter could end malnutrition, you know, malnutrition is a huge problem. It kills a kid every six seconds. Wow. Uh, it, it's worse than AIDS. It's worse than TB. It's worse than malaria. It's worse than all three of those combined times five. Wow. So for me to write on my website, uh, I want to end malnutrition is a ridiculous thing. You know, I might as well say, I want to fly to the moon and, you know, <laughs> is it, the, the odds of that happening pretty low, but uh, also, given, as we said, Todd, the, the limited heartbeats and breaths I have, uh, then why not? Why not aim big? Because what if we hit something sure. right below that? And wow. what if we were to contribute um, to the beginning of the end of malnutrition? Because one thing we know is we have plenty of food in this world. We yeah. just don't have the capacity to share it properly. And yeah. so we have 
a, a whole world that has a dysfunctional relationship with food. We have here people overnourished and it's truncating their lives. They die of diabetes and heart disease and other things, largely sometimes because of hereditary factors, but largely because of cultural issues around food. We eat the wrong type of food. Uh, and people on the other side of the world who are not stuffed like we are, but they're starved and they don't have access yeah. to food. So uh, I think the notion that we could be more fair about global access to food, uh, my, best, my best analogy is, you know, if I were to say, uh, I'm going to end your problems with fuel. And then all I did was go and, and unplug the, your gas gauge from your car. Uh, I wouldn't help you. Uh, you're, you might always read full, but really what I got to do is if I want to solve issues around fuel, I have to solve access, affordability, uh, what that fuel maybe uh, extraction is doing to our, to our globe, things like that. It's very complex. Uh, yeah, but, right. um, but that's what we want to do is be one piece of that puzzle, which says, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that kids are dying in this day and age of something as simple as needing a little bit of peanut butter. Shouldn't happen. Should never happen. Right. And so we want to end that. And uh, wow. I think we can play a pretty big role in that. Wow. I love, I love that. And, and that is a big, that is dreaming big, but I do love that about, uh, about what you're doing there. You know, you, you did a, uh, a TEDx talk uh, called Stuffed and Starved, Why the World is Both and why, What We Can Do About It. And it honestly, it's, you know, I, when I honestly saw the the title of that, I thought, oh, I wonder what this is going to be about. And, you know, but boy, you grabbed me from the very beginning of this talk and how you said, I love when you said the world is kind of spinning funny now because one side's uh, overstuffed, the other side doesn't have anything. And so it's wobbling funny. Yeah. Um, so tell us about some of the, you know, what is, you talked about how we have is it, you, you were talking a lot about calories and how we've got it all wrong. Will you kind of talk about that for us? Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that is, uh, and I knew we came up with to say, okay, if you see me coming, let's say you flipped on, Oh, what are, what, uh, you know, the podcast is about this week and mindset and Oh, it's this guy talking about peanut butter and whatever. I've got to have something compelling to grab your attention and to say, Hey, I'm worth listening to. And right. If I am, you know, who knows where I am? And so we all have these competing things that come out and you're like, is this guy worth listening to? And I think one quick talking point that just strikes people as, as very true is if I show up as my latest nonprofit kick and say, hey, I'm here. And what I call it is 20 minutes of making you feel bad. So if I could really make everybody feel terrible by listening to this podcast, they might at the end say, oh, I got to get my credit card out and I'm going to give this guy $20 or 50 or hundred. Right. What we know is 20 minutes of making people feel bad isn't really solving things. You know, yeah. we're, we're in the midst of, of, of a COVID crisis right now. And we have all kinds of debate around that. Yeah. One thing we do know is this, it, it seems to be true uh, at this moment in time, clinically is this Pfizer vaccine works at a 95% rate. You get it punched in your arm. Uh, at least that's what, you know, there's lots of skepticism around it, but that's what, uh, what it seems to be the truth. Sure. And this stuff, these packets have one here. Uh, if you give a kid who's malnourished three of these packets a day for six weeks, 95% of them don't die. They, wow. In fact, they don't ever come back. They just get, they, they get on a course to get a good life. Uh, if you look at the desk that you're sitting at or the desk that I'm sitting at, I've got my coffee cup here. If I were to sit that coffee cup, just teetering on the very edge, yeah. then any person with half a brain would come along and say, you know, Todd, move your, move your cup away from the edge. You sure. Know, yeah. Someone's going to bump the table or there's going to be an earthquake or something's going to happen and it's going to go off. Uh, and, but if you move it to the middle, things are fine. And so moving 
these kids who are malnourished away from the edge, the critical edge, and getting them out to where they can have a good life is not rocket science. It's just a matter of uh, they're still going to get malaria. They're still going to have problems that might still get COVID, but they won't be so uh, compromised. Uh, they won't yeah. have these multiple comorbidities is the way the terms that we've learned a lot about. Right. That it actually kills them. So back to your question about calories, we thought, what if instead of asking you for money, which we all have a limited supply of, uh, what if I ask you for calories? And I said, hey, uh, how would you like to take the five pounds you've been trying to lose and give it to a kid in Sudan? And most of us wow. would say, that's kind of funny. Uh, if I could do that, I would gladly do it because I got like 20 pounds. I'd like to give it. Yeah, kid. I'll give 10 right now. <laughs> yeah. So then if you say, okay, I was sort of joking, but I'm not joking because in your pocket, you have a phone mm -hmm. and on that phone, it tracks every step that you take. And we know that every time you hit 500 calories, uh, that phone can record it. And so what if we said, just go get active. And every time you hit 500 calories, we're going to take them and make a packet. Now that mm. caught the cost of this packet all in is about a quarter. Well, that means if I had you on my list, I just need a quarter every time you hit 500 calories, right? But if I had a sponsor who said, hey, man, if you can get kids in Utah active, I would gladly pay, you know, uh, yeah. because even though I'm not that concerned because of my business or my company necessarily about kids in Sudan, even though I love them, I, I'm just not my concern. Kids in my own community really are my concern. I want them to be active. I want them off the phones. I want them out there. So that's yeah. the notion of, of our, uh, at the time of the TED Talk, we were calling it calorie cloud. We, we now call it active for good. Okay. We felt like the calorie cloud aged a little bit. <laughs> uh, right. The, and active for good is just that. Hey, you go, you go get active uh, and we will make a packet every time. So at, I imagine like you're running and just as you hit 500, this packet kind of falls out behind you. We run and pick it up. And we say, thanks. Thanks for making a packet. Really? Okay. And, uh, yeah, we've had pretty good success with, uh, especially at schools, because young people don't feel as if they have money to give, but they do have a lot of energy to give. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people who would benefit uh, by saying, I want to pay for their energy to be exerted, you know, to get them off the couch, whatever. Local governments, there's, there's tons of reasons that getting people active, especially kids, wow. is, is really useful for our economy. So this is not, it moves from a charity thing to kind of an economic exchange, but our, we're measuring our economic exchange in calories. Uh, and my last analogy is this, imagine if you had, if, if I have like an oil really drilling rig and I'm uh -huh. drilling down into this, the, the, what is America today? And all of a sudden I hit this giant gusher of calories. Right. And then I could say, well, what if I could cap those and pipe them just like we do oil? Yeah. And, I mean, we find oil in the strangest places. Somehow we're clever enough to cap it, pipe it, turn it into a commercial good. And that's controversial, whether that's good for the uh, environment, all that stuff. But why could we not cap and pipe all these extra calories? Uh, it takes someone who's willing to pay for that exchange. And I feel like with uh, the fact that we live on the stuff side of the world where too many calories are killing us, there's got to be some sort of balancing that ball metaphor I used where it's kind of spinning out of whack. Yeah. That's the kind of crazy idea that we thought maybe that'll work. And so we took the idea to UNICEF and we actually sold the concept to them. We built it first. Yeah. And if you look it up, it's called, um, it's called UNICEF Kid Power. It's one of their programs now. That was something we built. Really and, cool. Uh, so it's turned out pretty successful. And, um, but they were a little antsy because they're UNICEF about promoting mana, which I don't blame them. Right. 
So we just sold the concept to them and now they're doing it. Uh, we took the concept and moved away. They're doing elementary kids. We're doing older kids in Canada now because it didn't, it didn't uh, step on their toes. So, okay. Uh, and, and we also do a lot of corporate engagement. So we've done, we've done Bank of America. We've done uh, some big, you know, get active in your community. Yeah. Uh, and the bank, of course, then the bank can say, hey, that's great. It, it helps our insurance costs go down. If all of our people stay active, they're thrilled to pay for a packet. If wow. Can get I love active. So that's the idea. So I wish, can, I, could, I, so wish can, I could say about the win the Nobel Peace Prize for having it, but not quite. Yeah. Still work in progress. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Can someone do it individually or do you have to do it with a group and a sponsor? Or is it, could I just sign up myself and just do it myself? You can't, you can. We, there are active open challenges that you can join. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, just go to, it's, it's called activeforgood.org. So check out active for good. And it's uh, that's a subsidiary of Mana, and all the impact gets delivered through Mana. We make these packets. Okay, yeah, I'm on. I'm on there right now. It says the next challenge started. Looked like it already started on April first, and obviously you just put in your email. You join the challenge, and and you're off and running, right? Absolutely, we could do one specifically for like your podcast and get let's all the it. users to say, "Hey, let's collectively get together, maybe lose a few pounds before the summer comes on, and we'll give those pounds to kids in Africa." Let's do it. I would love to do that, Mark. And what we can do is when we post this, we can put that in the in the script. Hey, here's the challenge. Go to this website. And for anyone that's, you know, involved with this belief cast and Mark Moore's story, uh, we could we could do a little challenge with everybody. That would be a blast. Sweet. Let's do it. Well, hey, I think that's so amazing what you're doing there. Um, you obviously do a lot of speaking events. You know, you, you've done TEDx several times. You know, you speak at corporate events, colleges. What is, is your message always the same, Mark? Is it always just right around, you know, you're here to end malnutrition and here's how we're going to do it. And is that basically the message? Well, I mean, you're, you're a pro at this. So you, you realize it has to contextualize. Uh, right. Your message starts to revolve around um, hopefully truth, right? I'm not hopefully, but for sure what is true. But right. beyond that, what will people listen to? You know, so you have to kind of figure out, um, I love speaking to people who are people of faith because that really resonates with me. I mean, that's my modus operandi for affecting change. That's what I right. think of as, as the book, but not everyone wants to hear that. Of course you can't stand up at a corporate event and, and necessarily tie it directly to faith. Right. Um, but I think from a faith perspective, I love to talk about this simple notion that as people from traditionally from Christian faith, we have latched onto um, stories that Jesus gave us, one of which is his disciples came to him. This is a really famous one. And they said, um, hey, what's the kingdom of God like? And so Jesus, I don't think Jesus was like me and you where he needed notes. I, right. I think he, he was like, he didn't like reach in his pocket and go, oh, good. I haven't, I have a good sermon on that. You know? right. I think they asked him that and he thought, well, and we have this recorded in the book of Luke and he said, uh, the kingdom of God is like, uh, it's like uh, a guy had a hundred sheep and he loses one, goes and looks for it, you know. And yeah. then he says, and all the disciples listen and they go, wow, I wonder what that meant. Why is he talking about sheep? It's weird. And yeah. then he said, or the kingdom of God is like, um, like a lady, an old lady, very poor lady, a widow. She only has 10 coins. She loses one. And she turns her whole house upside down looking for that one. And so he's still on this theme of lostness. And he's now ramped it up from 100 to 1 to 10 to 1. 
And then he caps it off in that same chapter. And who knows if he said all these at the same time or if they got recorded like this. He stays on the theme of lostness and he says, or like a, a guy who had two sons and he loses one. We're not talking about sheep. We're not talking right. about coins. We're talking about your kids, yeah, your son or your daughter. And to lose one would not be inconvenient. It would not be a 1% loss or a 10% loss. It would be a catastrophic loss that would change your life. And, yeah. and he says, until he found that son, things were not right. So this theme of lostness comes down to us all these years later, whoever it is from our heritage picks it up, could be Billy Graham or whoever, who's a great preacher and says, hey, don't be lost, right? Or maybe it's an accusatory, point your finger at the lost, right? Yeah. We use that term as Christian people, you're lost, I'm found. And modern people, I think, hear that and say, Oof, well, I hate to see Todd Mark come along because they're just going to point their finger at me and tell me I'm right. lost. So that's just a good reason for me to avoid. If, if it's you or I, we would say, I don't want to have those conversations with people because I don't want to accuse anybody of being lost. Uh, I don't feel that great about myself anyway, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's a good excuse for those of us who believe in this, this story of a, this happens to be the Christian story to say, I'm never going to talk about that because that's awkward. I don't want to be an awkward person. Right. Uh, and yet what we need to realize is even though that's the true metaphor, that if we go out with that binary metaphor, which is, this is a metaphor we borrowed from scripture. That's very true that we're probably not going to get off on the right foot with too many people. But my, but the thing I like to talk about when you ask what, what I like to talk about is uh, you mentioned the book I wrote and my dad used to always say, never trust a guy who has written more books than he's read. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just barely ahead of that because I've read a couple, <laughs> but uh, I did write one, but it, it's on this theme. And the theme yeah. is nourish. God loves to feed people. So what if instead of this binary that I just mentioned, hey, you're lost, mm -hmm. I'm found, sounds right. accusational, sounds in and out. What if I said, are you hungry? And your friend says, yeah, I'm hungry. And we live in a culture, I think, that is severely, acutely, spiritually malnourished. Yeah. And when a kid is severely, acutely malnourished physically, they, they're not hungry anymore. They've ceased to be hungry because of their deficiencies, right? Exactly right. This restores their appetite. And when you are not hungry, you are dying. It's true of your career. It's true of marriage. It's true of your sports team. Yep. It's true of life. And yeah. it, is, it is true spiritually. And I think we have a culture that says they eat so much cotton candy off Twitter from the Kardashians or whoever is, is feeding cotton candy, not, not to yep. accuse them of, if all you eat is cotton candy spiritually, then you're going to be severely, acutely, spiritually malnourished. You're going to be dying and you're not going to be hungry. And yeah. so if we show up and say, here's a big dose of green beans, they're going to go, no way. I don't want that. But if, if we are, if we show up with real bread and real nourishment, uh, people will crave it. And so that's, I like to talk wow. about, can we fundamentally change our metaphor uh, to one of nourishment in order to have conversations about people who existentially feel lost, right? Because once you get yeah. to know somebody, what they're going to say is if you go to lunch with them, eventually they're going to say, you know, my marriage, I feel lost in my marriage. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I don't talk to my kids. My kids are mad at me. Yeah. I hate my job, whatever. Those are all signs of hunger. And we can then respond with, you know, Jesus had these exact same conversations with people. And he said, you're seeking the wrong kind of water. I, if you would just talk to me about the right kind of water, I have yeah. water, you will never be thirsty again. And I think wow. part of the onus is on us in that. Uh, and uh, th there's, there's a book called metaphors. We live by kind of a famous book in graduate school circles and written by a guy from UCLA, not a, not a man of faith. 
But his, his point was, if you use broken metaphors, right? If I go out and talk about how people are lost, well, guess what? Anyone younger than me and you, especially our kids, are going to go, I'm not lost. I, I got my phone. Right. <laughs> like I yeah. have Google Maps. <laughs> so in the old days, when Jesus was telling these stories of lostness, when you got lost, you mean a bear was going to eat you? You were right. going to freeze to death? I mean, yeah. you're in trouble. And now it means you're going to be five minutes late. So why would we use broken old metaphors that we think resonate with people? Not that we should abandon them, because again, again, I think existentially, it's deeply true just because culture, just because scripture doesn't resonate with our culture doesn't mean we abandon scripture, right. but it does mean maybe we're a little smarter about where we start. And my point of talking to people of faith anyway, is that uh, it is deeply true throughout scripture. We started in a garden, not for sentimental reasons, but because God wanted yeah. to feed people. And in right. every turn, Ruth is gleaning, David's men are eating the bread, Elijah is fed by ravens, uh, there's great famines at the end of the Old Testament, Jesus shows up and says, I am the bread of life, and he feeds everybody. And the disciples say, well, you should send them away so they can get something to eat. And the last meal he ever eats with them is a meal. And he says, if you want to think of me, you should eat this meal. I mean, this, this resonant theme of nourishment is so scriptural, yeah. and yet we're too dumb. I think sometimes we <laughs> yeah, embrace it and, for sure. uh, and people I think would, would resonate towards it. So that's, that's what I like to talk about with people of faith since this is belief cast. Well, I think even someone who's not of the, of faith, they would understand what you're saying. Like you're teaching me right now. Like, honestly, I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And you're right. It's so, it's just so scriptural, but I think it's just common sense. And what I'm hearing is when it, when you say to someone, are you know, Hey, let's go get some lunch. Right. That's a way for you and I, Mark, to connect. And now we're sitting there, you know, eating our lunch together. And like you said, oh, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, you know, I'm really, you know, we start getting vulnerable, right? And we start connecting on such a really powerful way. So I really resonated with what you're saying. And I think everyone would do that. Is that, is that kind of what your book's about? Uh, is doing that very thing is connecting people in a different way, in a different way of saying it? It is. It is. And it's a unabashedly Christian book suggesting that uh, I believe that the way to actually be nourished is, is to get to know Christ, not because uh, I like it, but because it happens to be true. You know, yeah. my relationship with you is based on me looking for windows to manipulate you, then that's a very unhealthy relationship. But sure. if it's one where I just want the two of us to talk about things that are deeply true, um, we may in the end have disagreements about what truth is, but right. as long as I don't doubt whether you really believe these things to be deeply true uh, and that your relationship with me is not one of manipulation, but one of deep empathy and care, then I think most people in the world would be pretty happy to see a religious person coming, right? Yeah. I'm not here to, I, I won't even think of forcing you to believe like I believe, but I just want to talk to you about what's true. No, I and love that. That draws people in, I think, or at least makes them believe this is an empathetic and um, legitimate person. The same thing we started with Aaron White. I, I got the impression that, you know, I wasn't Mormon and he's knocking on my door, but I got the impression this is a deeply empathetic and genuine person who's, who's yeah. uh, out of mission to, to talk about what he believes is true. I'll tell you, he, he really is that guy. There's no, there's no guile on that guy. He, his, his, his intense, pure, he wants to, he, I'm sure he was just like, Hey, I just want to be a friend and I'll help you out. And let's just do this. If we can agree on some things and disagree on some others, that's okay. I still love you. Like you said, you guys have been exchanging Christmas cards for 30 years. See, that's Aaron White. That's what he does. He just yeah. so good that way. Um, 
I want to ask you, and I know you've already been talking about this for the last 10 minutes or so. What, why is faith so important for you, Mark? And especially in what you're doing with your, you know, your, your big dream of ending malnutrition. Well, you know, there's the, um, there's the pat Christian answer that we're all taught to give, right. That, uh, and, and I think if I were an outsider to that, I have many friends who are outsiders to that, then I, I might look at that as if, well, that's good. It's true for you, but not true for me, right? Yeah. And, and I think that is the cultural moment that we're in where people tend to yeah. distrust uh, people who are overtly living some sort of faith because they realize um, that uh, you know, people of faith have, have used uh, their soapboxes or their brainwashing or whatever they want to accuse you of, of right. <laughs> opposing that upon others, you know? Yeah. And I, I think instead, if we were to say, well, here's why faith matters to me is because if we were to back up and think, you know, when Jesus entered the world, and I'd be very oriented towards this Jesus story, uh, someone who is outside of it might say, well, you've really been brainwashed to be so into this Jesus story. This is just a guy who lived <laughs> right. 2000 years ago and he was important, but come on, get over it. He showed up <laughs> At, at this moment where his sort of uh, Eastern Jewish world uh, meets up with this Western philosophical framework, which is uh, the Roman Empire. I mean, at this moment in time where, especially from a Jewish standpoint, you've got these years and years of history, but you've had this long kind of empty period between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament where things were not going so well if you were Jewish. This was a rough times. You know, the Greeks had shown up, Alexander the Great. Yeah. They had given way to the Romans. And so this intertestamental period is about as low as it gets. If, you're, if your worldview is, is one coming from this rabbi, Jewish rabbi type worldview. And, but that Western philosophical framework, as I understand it, and I'm not a, I'm not a great philosopher, but I do know that from my uh, philosophy class in college from the first couple of years where we had to take remedial stuff, it, it's uh, based on basically um, kind of four big buckets and and one of those buckets is the bucket of logic, right? So when you're going to think as, as a philosopher, you have to think about logic and there's inductive and deductive logic. You know, if we ever watch a crime show, you can look at that and go, oh, they're going to be stuck because all they have is clues, right? They're, they're trying to use deductive logic to kind of figure out who right. did it, right? right? So we all watch that all the time. That's just a process from a philosophical standpoint of saying, hey, use what you got and try to deduce what's true here based on the clues. Uh, and there's um, epistemological conversations in philosophy, epistemology, you know, how do you know what you know? And that's a big word that most people are going to be turned off by <laughs> and that you don't need to remember, but we all have to, at some point, figure, how do I even know what I know? Is it just because my parents told me? Yeah. Is it, is it because, uh, who knows, maybe I've been, you know, uh, in with the wrong crowd and they've taught me the wrong things or whatever. And so we all have this kind of uncovering of, of that epistemological framework, but that, the one I mentioned earlier, the axiological framework, the first one is the metaphysical, by the way. Metaphysical is just, how'd we get here? You know, seems like we're alive. Seems like we have fingers. Yeah. And the world says, oh, well, you know, the atoms collided and it's a crazy story. It's very improbable, but now we right. have life and we have meaning and people like Todd have things like belief cast because they're grasping at meaning in life and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and so we all yeah. think, well, maybe that's true. But from the axiological standpoint, you have to then say, okay, I don't know about the metaphysical. I don't know epistemological. These are really hard conversations. Logical things are based on science and things. But axiology, again, says what is ethical, what's right and wrong, and what is beautiful, what is aesthetic. And 
I, when you say, why is faith so important to me is because I, um, I'm on this rock flying through the sky, uh, called earth. And as far as I know, I have, uh, I'm 54 now. So I'm hoping I got 35 years left. I don't know. Maybe I have 50 more. Maybe I have 10, maybe I have two, yeah. uh, but whatever heartbeats and breaths I have that I want to extract value out of that axiologically, right? Forget yeah. Jesus, forget stories of, of God. Uh, maybe I made those up. I don't know. But I think when I try to extract value out of that real value, then I turn to, that's what Jesus showed up to give. He said, here's how, here's what it means to be human. I'm going right. to teach you how to be a good human. And so I always tell people if I could find a, if I'd stumble onto something better, like I joined the world food program or, or I'd go be a, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's serving in some poor country or something like that, maybe there's more value there, but I, I really feel like, um, the story of faith handed down to us through Christ rings to me to be axiologically very valuable to afford me what is beautiful and what is true. What are the mission, vision values of my life? I got to have an anchor and I'm holding on to that, that anchor. And that's at the core of it for me. And, um, and I want to pass that on to people. I want to yeah. you know, be optimistic and, um, and say, Hey man, this is just a, a very, short spurt a blink of an eye as the you know this these bodies these jars of clay that the apostle paul talked about yeah and the light and momentary troubles that paul talked about are going to give way to something bigger and better and so i choose wow. to believe that to be able to choose not to that sure. you can believe in whatever you want i guess at that point yeah no I beautifully said mark thank you so much for sharing that part of it i think that's really important of obviously and that's what one of the things that fuels you and what you're doing I know another organization you've been involved with is Unreasonable Institute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I first read that, I'm like, Unreasonable? What the heck does that mean? But there's a quote on there, and I want to read this to our listeners. I love this. It says, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt to the world himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man and woman. That's mm. from George Bernard Shaw. And I thought, wow. And that's really what you're doing. Like, you're just saying, hey, people might say to you, that's unreasonable to end malnutrition in the world. That's unreasonable. Why would you do that? <laughs> but um, tell us a little bit about that. You know, just, you know, take a couple minutes. What's the Unreasonable Foundation or Institute? And, and what does that entail with what you're doing? Yeah, they're a great group out of Boulder. Um, and it was good for me because I showed up there, you know, this previous 10 minutes, you and I have been talking. There's lots of people who will watch this and go, oh, those guys, those religious nuts, you know, <laughs> I don't need them. And, and it, the reasonable institute is, is certainly not a anywhere near any kind of traditional Christian, very hippie crowd. It's Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, you know. Yeah, this right. Is, <laughs> this is a long way from Provo or whatever. So, um, they, uh, but what I found there was the same kind of honesty and intellectual curiosity and stuff that you find in good crowds of people who are. And I think that quote, I feel the same way about it. When I saw it, you know, George Bernard Shaw, not known for being, uh, you know, the greatest apologetic Christian in the history of the world. Right. <laughs> uh, but here, here's a guy who um, I thought really resonated with me because, again, back to my philosophical conversation in the, in the realm of logic, uh, then you have to talk about reason. And that's not reasonable. And I can't logically yeah. figure this out. And so much of our lives, you know, even from that at least 75% of the of buckets of philosophy don't even have anything to do with lo logic, right? And we right, tend to right. think everything has to be logic. <laughs> no, it doesn't. We don't understand. 
to say we understood 25% would be such a gross overstatement. And as humans, it's only a small bucket of what makes us up to be uh, people. So it's cool to see someone like Shaw say, yeah, you know what? I'm really dependent on the unreasonable people, the people who have, and I remember that, you know, we all remember people of a certain age, that cool Apple commercial that had all those, these are the crazy ones, you know? Yeah, we all, of course, imagine ourselves to be a part of that crowd in our better moments. So, um, so I, uh, I'm not ashamed of that. I think um, the unreasonable ones. Back to our faith conversation. You know, the heroes of faith were all kooks and unreasonable people. <laughs> they were absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, that anybody who's ever changed the world uh, has ended up in jail at some point. Uh, Martin Luther <laughs> King and Gandhi. And I, I hope Mandela. that's not where you're headed. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't think I'm interesting enough to go to jail. So. <laughs> If I were, I might, you know, I'm, I'm too, I'm too afraid to go to jail. So I'm going to just be a little unreasonable. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you know, you're an amazing man, Mark. I I'm so impressed with what you're doing and I, and I want to help on my end. I'm going to, I definitely want to join that active for good challenge. And I, I encourage all our listeners to do the same. I, I usually ask this with all my guests before you go, if there's someone listening to this right now, Mark, who's just struggling whether it's with malnutrition or something else, or they're just in a dark spot, what's some advice you could give them at this very moment that may be hearing your voice right now? Hmm. Well, yeah, uh, it is a tough time coming out of uh, this pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it is when you are struggling like that, uh, one of the worst things to hear is, uh, you know, there was an old Bob Newhart skit. I don't know if you ever saw it where he yells across it, get over it. You yeah. Know? I remember that. <laughs> That's the worst thing that, you know, we all don't want that from a counselor to say, right. just <laughs> stop it. That's what he says. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I fear being that whenever I get optimistic, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, I want to, I would want, if I were listening to someone who was really struggling to try to present to them uh, the great optimism of our world. And so, but I also realize, you know, you don't need me. If you're struggling, me going, come on. You can do it. Get over it. That, that's that's uh, patronizing yeah. advice. They could even be dangerous if people really are struggling. For but sure. I would say if they could manage through uh, the dark times and through the struggles to imagine, well, here's the upside. It's, this may not be totally applicable to their situation, but you know, we were, if you look at my life, uh, 54-year-old guy sitting here, if we took the 50,000 years of human history and knocked them down to my life, right? So we take all the zeros off and we say 50, let's say humans started 50 years ago. We, we walked out of a cave wearing the skins of animal and learned to push a little cart with wheels. Yeah. We don't know anything about humans until 10 years ago, right? Yeah. In this 50 year span of human history, 10 years ago, Abraham and these Jewish Semitic people start showing up, not even Abraham. He doesn't show up until four years ago, but people start to write things and we start to learn about Mesopotamia. People get organized yeah. and grow a lot of food. They, they, they emerge in cities. That's 10 years ago. Uh, prior to that, we don't know anything about humans other than we dig up pots sometimes. We don't have anything definitive because about 10 years ago in this 50 year span of human history, humans learned to write. But five years ago, Abraham shows up. Two years ago, Jesus shows up. A year ago, uh, people are starting to think about the laws of um, kind of science and physics. Yeah. Uh, six months ago in this human span of human history, uh, you know, we learn to um, Europe kind of blows up. Uh, four months ago, Gutenberg makes the press. 
two months ago in the 50 year span of human history. I mean, think of our lives too. What were you doing in, in February? You know, right. Uh, this is just yesterday, but two months ago in the human, in the span of human history, um, a bunch of people get on a boat and they go and they form this country called the United States and it has all kinds of troubles and it's all kinds of inequities and they, they, they miss out on all sorts of issues of justice. Uh, a month ago, they get fight so bad called the Civil War uh, that they almost genocide, they almost murder each other and eliminate each other. And then two weeks ago, they learned to combustion engines and how to fly airplanes. And then last week, uh, you know, they figure out how to launch things into space. And then uh, last night, in this 50 year span of human history, they took all of the knowledge of NASA and they put it on a thing and you have it in your pocket. Yeah. You know, any song ever. And, and just think, <laughs> Gosh, why, how did I get born at this moment in time? How did God give me this gift? If there is a God, how, how did I get this gift? And what's going to happen by midnight? How exciting yeah. is it that I am born and with all of my troubles and all of the dark times and all of the things that seem inescapably dark, most of human history have lived in the dark dugouts of poverty and never traveled more than 50 miles from their home. Never. Wow. And we, even the poorest among us have done that. Uh, we have access to foods and to information and to stuff. And so I would say to that person, uh, even though I know it seems dark, uh, find a friend. Uh, you can't do this alone. Find a friend who offers a glimpse into the optimism of this moment, of this time, of the wow. fact that not only on this planet were you born on the morning of potential in human history, but you were born in the country, if you're in the United States, it just has phenomenal resources. And so as bad as it may be, there are a lot of positives to be able to say, boy, For if I sure. can just get past my struggle with depression and uh, you know, it, maybe it's my brain with dopamine and other things like that, that I can correct, but there's hope because if I can get past these feelings that my, my, my brain is telling me, the reality is not telling us that, that yeah. we have tremendous opportunities and it's a wonderful time to be alive. Uh, and they probably want to punch me right in the nose at that point, if I were being so optimistic. No, very, no, Mark, very well said. Thank you so much. And you shared kind of that same uh, time pattern in your TED talk, which I thought was fascinating. Um, again, the TED talk was stuffed and starved. Uh, look that up, folks. It's an amazing uh, talk that uh, Mark does. If people want to reach out to you, Mark, and get to know you better and, and obviously follow what you're doing and get involved as well, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so they can write Aaron White in Sandy, Utah. I met him 30 <laughs> years ago. I've never seen him since. Uh, I wouldn't know him. But no, I know his pictures from Christmas cards. Uh, no, they can check out mananutrition.org. My cell phone is on there. You can text me directly. We're very small. We're, we're very flat. So... Okay. If you write the info account at Mana, you'll get me and I'll write you back. So I, that's wow. the quickest way to get me. Um, okay. You can call my cell phone, but I hardly ever answer it. You can text me and I'll get it right away. Okay. Wow. Well, that makes it pretty simple and easy, Mark. That's amazing. I'm glad I don't, I haven't yet progressed to an administrative assistant because I would have to uh, <laughs> do what he or she told me. <laughs> exactly. Well, Mark, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule today and, and sharing your, your, not only just your life, but your vision and your passion to end malnutrition in the world. I, I, that is a bold dream, but I, I really do respect you for it. And 
I, I'm kind of the same way. I like to dream big and to think that I can do anything. You know, we're, you know, we're part of the crazy ones, right? We're going to do this crazy stuff. And, but I love it. So thank you so much, Mark. And uh, I hope you know how much we appreciate you. And like I said, Aaron's the one that, you know, told me about you several months ago. I was like, man, you got to get this guy on your, and now I know why. And you're just an amazing man. And I'm grateful that I get to know you better and to sit here and talk to you today. Yeah. Thank you. It's an honor and appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, another amazing uh, person, another amazing belief cast. Please reach out to Mark Moore. Check out his causes. He's doing some amazing things and let's help him get to that goal. And I think the more people we can get involved, the better. I love you guys for tuning in week after week. Again, thank you to my sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen and Veracity Networks. I love you guys. And until next time, take care.